Today's episode is sponsored by Jelly Bean Games. The first two expansions for their game Village Pillage are on Kickstarter right now. Village Pillage Surf and Turf introduces loads of new villagers, an extended game mode, and two new mechanisms. So if you're a fan of Village Pillage, this is a Kickstarter you won't want to miss. So make sure to check out Surf and Turf on Kickstarter today. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, well, today's a little different. Today, we're doing something a little special. We're celebrating the 150th episode of this podcast, 150 episodes. And it's kind of crazy to think that it's been that many. It just seems like, you know, two weeks ago that I started this whole thing. And and, and here we are. Yet, it's been almost three years. And that's that's kind of nuts to, to think that I've been able to interview well over 100 designers for the podcast, well over 100 designers for for my books. And so it's just kind of, kind of crazy. And I just wanted to take a moment, do a little bit of looking back, do a little bit of looking towards the future and do a little bit of uh, answering y'all's questions. I got quite a few questions from the BGDL community that uh, you submitted through the, the Facebook group. And so I'm excited to get to those questions here in just a minute. But first, just want to talk about a couple of things. Um, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride and I want you to know how much I appreciate you listening and just being part of this community, part of this, this podcast thing. You know, I was reading the other day and it said the majority, the vast majority of podcasts don't make it past eight episodes. That eight is kind of like this, this holy grail of, of podcasting. If you can get past eight, then you can do a whole lot more. Uh, it's it's kind of funny the way, the way it works out. But, you know, to be able to hit 150 is just crazy. And uh, it wouldn't be possible without you, without you listening, without amazing people coming on the show as guests. Uh, without the the community that's just built up around this whole thing, it wouldn't be possible without you. So I want you to know how much I appreciate you being you, you being a designer, you trying to get better at the craft, trying to hone your skills. And uh, hopefully this podcast and, and the website and the community have been you know some sort of a guide in helping you along in your game design journey. That That's something I wanted to do early on starting off. It's like I, I want not only to learn these things for myself, but I want to create a resource to be able to help other people grow and learn how to make great games that people love. And so hopefully you're doing that. Hopefully this podcast has really been helping you along. I've gotten so many emails from people telling me that it's, it, it, that it is, that it's helping them uh, grow in different ways that they've learned so much from different guests that have come on the show. And uh, whether it's just the basic stuff, you know, people just starting off, starting off and just trying to figure, figure out how do I, how do I do this? How do I turn this idea, you know, this thing I've scribbled down on a napkin or in a notebook somewhere, how do I take that and then turn it into a prototype? And then how do I iterate and, and play tests and all these things? Eventually, how do I publish it? How do I get it on a store shelf? How do I get it on people's tables? And it's been so cool to get so many emails from people saying, you know, just tell me about how the podcast has helped them in some way. And I really appreciate that. So thank you to everyone who's given me feedback. And I've gotten some uh, some cr- critical feedback as well. It's been super helpful, you know, different ways to improve the show or, or people submitting ideas for topics or guests and things like that. And so it's been a really uh, just wonderful process of learning over the last 150 episodes of growing, of figuring things out, of trying to be uh, the best that I can be and, and hopefully being able to help you uh, become the best that you can be. And it's just crazy to think about where, where we've come uh, and then where we are now. I was looking at the stats on my uh, podcast hosting dashboard, the place where all the, the episodes are hosted and whatnot. And the, the show has been downloaded 
little over 957,000 times. And that is mind-blowing, almost a million. It, it won't be long, and, and we'll hit a million downloads for the show. And that's, that is crazy. Uh, and it's just uh, blows my mind. I never thought you know, that would happen. I was thinking when I first started this thing, my hope was double digits. It's like, you know, if I can just get like 10 regular listeners, 10 people out there in, in the world, in the universe that appreciate this content and get something out of it, you know, me rambling or me you know, talking to uh, different people in the industry, if I can get 10, 11, 12 people to enjoy it, then uh, I'll be doing okay. And to be coming up on a million downloads is, um, it's humbling. It's very, very humbling. Uh, and then to think about, so the, the Facebook community, it just crossed over 4,000 members, over 4,000 people in there just trying to help each other out and be encouraging and you know, talk through design challenges and, and help each other with proofreading and playtesting. And, you know, does this logo look good? Should I change the colors here and there? Just all the many things that come from that community. It's been amazing. A ton of people over there on the Discord, you know, helping each other out on a daily basis. I mean, it's just phenomenal how this community has come together to become something I think is special, something that's very much unlike any of the other uh, communities around. I mean, there's some great ones out there uh, for sure. And, and I'm a part of some of the other ones too, just kind of on the fringe. And, you know, I, I don't contribute nearly as much, obviously, as I do to the BGDL community, but um, there's something special about the BGDL community. It really is. And I'm not just saying that. Uh, if it wasn't something that I thought was uh, special or encouraging or whatever, and then I, I would do everything I could to change it or I would probably just shut it down because that's just kind of how I am. I, I'm not I'm just going to do something for its own sake. I, I want it to be excellent. I want it to be special. I want it to be a positive place, place where people can feel encouraged and feel like they matter, feel like they're important, uh, like their ideas are important. And so I thank you all so much for being part of that, for making that happen. I, I obviously could not do that by myself for any stretch of the imagination. And so thank you so much for helping me along in this journey. And it's been cool just to see all the, the things happen, whether it's the, the design challenges and, and so many games coming through in there and, and some of them getting signed and getting published now. I saw or recently a couple of games have been picked up by publishers that were in the design challenge. That's amazing. And then we just had the Ignite conference this past weekend. Uh, that, was, that was awesome. It's so much fun to be part of that and, and all the different designers that came in and just the experts on different topics and, and being able to share those different sessions, those talks. And thank you to everyone that, that came in for that, either for the live uh, sessions or just coming in later to, to watch the replays and whatnot. Uh, hopefully those things have been super helpful to you in helping you learn and, and grow in game design. And I'm just super excited about what's to come, what what the future holds as far as more design challenges. I've been thinking, you know, could we do more than one a year? Maybe. I don't know. I'm still working on that. Uh, I think that's a little ways off, but you know, maybe doing something a little bit different. People from the community giving me ideas about different things. You know, I'm already looking forward to, you know, next year's Ignite Commerce, doing the third one. And what does that look like? How can we do things a little bit differently, a little bit better? You know, how do, how do we kind of mix things up and, and keep it fresh and keep it interesting and, and keep people coming back and learning and growing? And I've really been thinking a lot lately about how do I help, especially the new people coming into the hobby. I get so many emails from people uh, weekly uh, that are just starting out, that they just randomly came across the Board Game Design Lab. It, it's on the front page of Google. Now it's on the first page. And so we get a lot of uh, people there coming to the website and, and finding it for the first time, just because it's it's easy. If you type in board game design, then BGDO comes comes up. It's like the fourth or fifth, something like that, uh, listing. And that's been super helpful, getting people uh, into into the hobby and just starting to figure it out. They're, they're kind of you know fishing in the dark, so to speak. And so the BGDO has been able to shine a little light and help them know where to fish, so to speak. And so I've been working on, you know, what does it look like to create more resources for those people, you know, to take everything that I've learned, all these different uh, interviews and all the different resources, all the things that I've experienced and seen and I've learned over the last, you know, I don't know, five, six years, something like that, uh, three years of, of, you know, really intent, intentional uh, learning and growing. How do I take all that information and then package it in such a way that somebody just starting out 
can can process it, you know, so they're not drinking from a fire hose, you know. And and so I've been thinking a lot about that. And so I'm excited about uh, rolling some ideas out here in the coming year, early 2020. My plan is to, to launch a couple of things that are hopefully will hopefully be really helpful to new designers, especially. And it's going to bring more people into the community, more people to uh, bounce ideas around and help out on their games and get feedback from and all the different things, and just building up more perspectives and ideas and just more people to, to be around. And I think it's going to be a really positive thing. And then working on more book ideas and just more resources, just more stuff to help you grow as a designer, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been doing this for a long time and you're just trying to tweak some things, you're just trying to get 1% better. I want to, I want to hit the whole spectrum as best I can, uh, focusing on different things, you know, at different times, but uh, doing everything I can to help you to continue to design great games that people love. And as we look to the future, just a couple things that are going to be changing uh, here, actually one change happening this week. Uh, one thing, you know, uh, I've thought about getting rid of a while back and then uh, was talked out of it and, and and it was good. It was good to keep it around for a little while, but I think it is time to, uh, to let it go. And that's the bonus round, you know, so every episode I do a five to seven, eight, you know, something like that minute little bonus round type thing, uh, extra ep- episode that I release on Friday. And those have been great. But I think what I want to do is is just focus a little bit more on the main topic and not so much worry about bonus rounds anymore. So instead of doing normally, uh, I'll bring a guest on. We'll talk for 45, 50 minutes or so, and then we'll do a five to 10 minute bonus round, you know, to, to round up the hour. My goal is to hit an hour or so with with that guest. I don't want to waste their time. I want to make sure we're efficient. We're using their time uh, as best and wisely as we can. And so what I, what I want to do going forward is still use the hour but to really focus on whatever the topic is. And so instead of you know, switching gears, because sometimes it's a little awkward, sometimes like the guest just doesn't, you know, it's hard to come up with a bonus round uh, idea or topic or you know, something that we haven't already discussed in the past. And so uh, this is going to allow the episodes to be a little bit longer and to be a little bit you know, deeper into whatever the, the topic for that week is. And so it'll still be, still be the same amount of content, roughly, basically. Uh, but instead of doing bonus rounds, I'm just going to go a little bit deeper on the main topic that will release on Wednesday. And then I'm also going to be focusing on trying to do more uh, BGDL Plus content, more podcasts, more interviews, uh, more things to go uh, to the BGDL Plus members. If you don't know about that, it's it's Patreon. You can, you can support the BGDL on Patreon. I think it's just patreon.com slash BGDL. should be pretty easy to find. But uh, if you want to support the show, it's, it's five bucks a month and you get access to all sorts of extra content, right? Extra podcast episodes, extra interviews. The game design coupon book that I put out a while back just has thousand plus dollars worth of coupons for game designers, whether it's components or proofreading or playtesting, different things like that, specifically for game design. You get free access to a lot of stuff that we do. You get free entry into the uh, game design challenge, free entry into the Ignite conference, all sorts of really cool stuff you get for uh, being a, a patron over on Patreon. And so I want to do more for those folks that are that are basically raising their hand saying, I want more. I want to go deeper. You know, I want to do a little bit more for those folks over there because I really appreciate their support. I really appreciate uh, their help in, in funding the show and keeping the lights on and helping me to make this, this whole thing as excellent as I can. And so I want to do more in the few different episode series I've been, I've been working on. So the Kickstarter diaries is one where I interview Kickstarter creators about different topics, you know, that related or related to crowdfunding. And I've been doing another interview series that's called the making of, and, and that's where I interview designers about the specifics on how one of their games, usually it's a really popular game, how it went from idea, you know, it went from their head into a notebook, onto a table, playtesting the whole thing from idea all the way to published. And we, we just talked through all their design challenges, their design mistakes, their design choices, and just kind of do a deep dive on one specific game. Really enjoyed that interview series. So I want to do more stuff like that, along with 
the other content and talking about creativity and productivity and, and, and things along those lines. And so if you're ready to take your game designing just a little bit deeper, you know, get a little more content, a little more information from the industry's best and brightest, or if you just want to support the show, I encourage you to check out the BGDO over on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash BGDO. And that leads me into kind of really looking towards the future, like the big picture future. I'm getting really close to being able to take this whole thing full time. And that's exciting and also extraordinarily scary. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's getting close. I, I'm thinking within the next year, I'll be able to make the leap to go from working three jobs effectively. Uh, I teach English down here in Honduras at a high school and I run a ministry in the States that, that works with the homeless and I'm doing the board game design lab stuff as well. And so I've kind of got three jobs going right now and I would love to just do one job and then volunteer in ministry somewhere, you know, continue to do the ministry stuff. That's never going to change. I'm never gonna stop doing that. But there's a lot of value I find in, in not doing ministry for your job and in doing it as a volunteer or doing it on a part-time basis. I find a lot of value in that. And so I'm looking forward to hopefully over the next year, being able to make the leap, make the jump, be able to make enough money off of this whole thing to be able to focus full-time on board games, on board game design, on more content, more resources, resources for game designers, and being able to do that as my full-time gig. And that's super exciting stuff. Uh, but like I said, it, it is a little scary, you know, thinking through, all right, what's insurance going to look like? What, what are, you know, what are different months that are going to be a little higher and different months are going to be a little lower and, and just kind of having, you know, the plan and the budget and, and all the different things that go along with that. But I've got lots and lots of projects planned uh, over the next year, year and a half. And so I think with all those projects coming together and, and things working out really well and the amazing community uh, that you've become and, and supporting all these different things, whether it's the books or the games, or whatever, uh, I think I think it's getting close. And that's really exciting because it means I'm going to have more time. I, I can't imagine just the idea of not having to do this from 10 p.m. to midnight. You know, to be able to do this from nine to five, it just boggles my mind. What what all I could accomplish, and I know it's not, you know, going to be perfect or, you know, it's, it's not rainbows and butterflies and unicorns or anything like that. But just the idea of all the things that I could get done that I would love to do, I just don't have time to do, that I'd, I would be able to do if, if I could do this as a day job. And so it, it's getting close and I'm really excited about that. I'll, I'll be able to spend more time in the community, more time answering questions and, and commenting on, on posts and, and giving feedback to think, you know, people about different things and more coaching opportunities and people that, that want to go to the next level as far as their games or getting published or their Kickstarter campaigns, being able to you know, offer more coaching opportunities. Lots of really cool stuff that uh, I've got planned and I'm hoping that it happens sooner rather than later, but we'll see. We'll see how, to, you know, how, how things work out. A lot of things are also going to depend on uh, how, how things work out here in Honduras. Uh, still working through an adoption right now. And uh, don't really know when that's going to end. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. And uh, he's, you know, we've known each other forever. And he's kind of been with me through the highs and lows of all the adoption processes and, and things. And he said, Gabe, do you ever just look around, you know, look around Honduras and think, yep, I'm going to die here. <laughs> and, and he was just joking. But, you know, at the same time, it, it's been a crazy five years of working through this adoption, but it looks like it appears to be on its last leg in the final stretch, you know, round and third, hopefully coming home. And that'll mean being able to move back to Atlanta, uh, being able to, you know, do a lot of things that I just can't do from Honduras for, for lots of different reasons. And uh, I'm really pumped about that. My wife's definitely excited. My kids are excited. You know, everyone is really hopeful about the possibility of that and be able to be back around family, back around friends and uh, back around Amazon two day shipping, <laughs> little things like that. And so, but we'll see. And, uh, you know, if you're the kind of person that, that prays, I, I would appreciate some prayers through this time as we go into this last stage of adoption. 
so anyway, that's where I'm at, both uh, personally and just kind of with BGDO and, and where things are headed. And again, thank you so much for being a part of it. And uh, I can't wait to see what's in store so to, you know, to see what is next. But anyway, let's get into your questions. So many questions that were submitted through the Board Game Design Lab Facebook community. I can't answer them all. I got more than I can can answer. I don't want this to be a two or three hour podcast. I'm still trying to stick to the normal uh, format. And uh, let's just jump into these. And so again, thank you if you if you submitted a question. Really appreciate it. If I don't get to yours, uh, just know it wasn't because I didn't like it. It wasn't because it wasn't a good question. It was just because I didn't have time to do them all. And some of them are kind of similar. And so if, if you have one that was similar to another one, I might have cut yours out just because it was kind of the same as, as another, another person's question. Or I might have mixed the two in to kind of create one question, that kind of thing. So let's get started. All right, this one says, as a listener who really enjoys your podcast, I would love to know. Who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. <laughs> I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. That was one of the first ones I read, actually. I was like, oh, this is good. This would be a good one to lead off on. So my name is Gabe. Uh, I live in Honduras. I'm originally from Alabama. I have a background in uh, playing football and working uh, for churches, working in ministry. I've done that for well, 10 years professionally and, wow, 18, 13, 14 years. Wow, I've been, been in ministry for 14 years. Uh, played football for about a decade, both, you know, all through high school, middle school, high school, and, and college. And so a lot of, you know, if you've listened to the show at all, you, you've heard me probably say more than, probably more than enough, probably too many uh, football stories and references and things like that, sports references, or, or talking about you know, different things I've experienced. Uh, let's see, currently teach in Honduras. I teach English down here to 10th and 12th grade students. I run the RPG group on uh, Mondays. We, we play Dungeons and Dragons. Also do some D&D kind of stuff. We call it Classrooms and Dragons in my classroom where we do a lot of like critical thinking uh, exercises. It's basically D&D. It's basically, you know, students creating characters and then I throw them into unwinnable scenarios and see how they how they figure it out. And sometimes they die. Sometimes they, they figure it out. Sometimes they get real creative and they live. But it's really, I, I love using games in the classroom. I use a lot of different things to help reinforce learning. And, and I've actually brought a couple of people into uh, games or actually brought a, a number of people into games. And then a couple of people actually into game design where I've got some students that are creating their own games now because they, you know, they asked me about it and they were excited and started making their own stuff. And it's been cool to see them kind of grow and develop and become game designers themselves at, you know, 16 years old, which is a lot of fun. And I'm excited to see where, where they go. As far as how I got into game design, that was many moons ago. Let's see. That was probably uh, 10 years ago, nine or 10 years ago. I first started just kind of messing around. Uh, I remember in college, played a lot of D&D, played a lot of, you know, Catan like everybody else, played a lot of Magic. I uh, started getting into kind of the hobby games, but then I graduated and, and didn't think about it much. Uh, but then kind of came back into it more from the design standpoint. I just started having ideas about creating games and they were very, very simple and very, very bad. Uh, they weren't super fun, didn't have a lot of choices or had too many choices or the themes are really weird. I remember I made one that was called Church Planner where your, uh, your character was, was going around planning churches at different places and you're fighting sins. That's <laughs> such a bad game. But uh, it was fun in, in the way that I learned a lot. The game was not super fun, but I learned a great deal. Uh, and then I started you know making kind of more typical games and you know kind of fantasy or sci-fi and, and that kind of thing. And I was just doing it just, just for fun, just a little hobby, um, just something to kind of pass the time. My job was, was seasonal in a lot of ways. And so it would have its ups and downs of being you know crazy, work 100-hour weeks during this part of the year, and then work 20 hours a week during other parts. You know, have to kind of 
fill my time with other things. And so uh, game design was a great distraction. It was a great little hobby just to keep my brain working. And, and, and game design is a puzzle. It's one of the reasons I love it. it. It's a puzzle to figure out. It's, okay, I have a problem. How do I solve it? It's, it's a ton of critical thinking and a ton of problem solving and, and just all the different things you get to get to think through, whether it's how the game works, how the mechanisms work together, uh, how the icons work, how you know different abilities will combo with each other. I mean, there's so many different facets of it. Uh, I just love game design because of that it's just always something new, always something different. And then as I was just designing more and more and just kind of became more and more of a hobby, I ended up living in Honduras and wanted to do more in the industry. I wanted to be you know become part of the gaming community in, in some way. Uh, I couldn't do, really do reviews. You know, there's no game store. I couldn't really uh, get new games or anything like that, just the way the mail works here. And so I started thinking, well, what if I did a podcast? And so uh, I actually put the idea for the podcast on the back burner for about, ooh, it was about eight months, eight months to a year, something like that, where I had the idea and then just didn't do anything about it. Did other things and, and tried all sorts of other ideas. I, wanted, I wrote a book, uh, did some you know different activities trying to figure out, well, what do, what do I want to do? Just trying to figure out direction in life and eventually came back to the podcast and thought, okay, let's, you know, some of these other things didn't work out so well or didn't work as well as I wanted them to. And so let's try this thing. It seems fun. seems exciting. And so I started the podcast and it's uh, been a wild ride ever since. Again, I never thought it would turn into what it's become, but I am so thankful, so glad that it has. And here we are three years later, 150 episodes down, you know, looking forward to the next 150, you know, no plans of stopping, no desire to slow down anytime soon. All right. Next question. What is the purpose of games? That's a deep question. That is an entire podcast episode of, of a question. I'll answer it kind of briefly, just in more my personal opinion of why games are important. Basically, I mean, because games, you can use games for anything. Just to have fun, you can use games to learn, uh, games to help with different uh, things that are going on, whether it's education, you know, trying to help a kid learn how to do math or trying to help a kid learn how to process things. Or, you know, I, I find games to be really helpful for young people uh, in learning different skills or uh, character traits or, you know, things that just they, they need to know. Again, problem solving, critical thinking. Uh, but I, I think games are a much bigger deal than most people realize because uh, it's not just about fun. I, I think games have a, a kind of more spiritual aspect uh, to them. Uh, I think there's something amazing about just the idea of the table. If you look at a lot of different cultures around the world, the table is a very, very important place. It's not just a place to eat food or to hang out. It's, it's a place of relationships, a place, place to get to know people, to uh, build each other up, to build relationships, to have have fun, get to know one another on a deeper level. And games are great for that, great at getting people to the table, uh, whether it's helping a family get off their phones, get off their devices and just sit down and enjoy an hour together saving the world or you know trying to destroy each other in whatever game you're playing or an opportunity at a convention to meet new people, to build relationships, you know, create friends that you've never even uh, had never even met before until that day. I've seen games work phenomenally in, in ministry settings. Um, there's, you know, during the summer, we'll take a bunch of games down to different homeless shelters and soup kitchens and whatnot that we're, we're serving lunch and we'll play games. We'll play, you know, just mass market stuff, Jenga and, and Uno and different things that are super easy to teach, super easy to play, you know, play in two minutes kind of thing. But I've seen games have an incredible effect on people just being able to take their mind off of whatever's going on, you know, whatever the tough things are, are happening in that person's life, you know, they can kind of shut that off for a minute and just play, play a game and have fun and do a little trash talking, you know, during a game of Jenga or Uno <laughs> and, and just kind of escape for a little bit. And so I think games are a great way to escape uh, from, you know, if you've got a lot of stress, got a lot of things going on and be surrounded by people that, that care about you, that, that love you, that just want the best for you and just have some fun and, and laugh a little bit and have a really good experience. And so I think games, what's the purpose of games is to get people to the table because the table is where amazing things happen. Next question. How have you seen yourself grow because of the podcast? That's a good question. Well, 
I've always been a pretty driven person. Uh, I have the ability to get really, really focused and, and get things done and accomplish more than I probably should uh, based on, you know, personal ability and things like that. Uh, that was definitely the case in sports. Uh, I was always pretty athletic, but I, I went very much beyond what a lot of people said I could have or should have done. Even coaches that I probably should have trusted their opinion when they said I should quit or uh, go do something else. I had a coach and I was, let's see, about midway through my college career, I was at Murray State and I was on scholarship there. And then we had a new coaching staff come in and I, I just wasn't a very good fit for their new system and just for their culture. It was just it, it, not a good culture to be in. And went through, you know, a season with that new staff and it just didn't go very well for me overall. I didn't get to play a whole lot, to play a lot of special teams and played some at receiver. It just wasn't, just wasn't good. And I went to the receivers coach after the season. I said, coach, I just want to, you know, sit down and talk. Let's, let's figure this out. Cause I'm trying to understand, you know, why things worked out the way that they did. Cause I feel like the way I practiced, the way I, you know, much time I put in the weight room, all these different things, I deserved more than I got. And so help me understand. And he said, well, here's the deal. You're just, you just weren't athletic enough. We didn't think you were athletic enough to play. I was like, really? He said, yeah, you should probably transfer to like a division two, division three school. I think you'd probably just be better off there. Huh. All right. And at first it kind of struck me as like, well, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just kind of done playing football. But uh, I actually left that meeting and started thinking about like not athletic because I mean, I'm just to be honest with you. I could do a backflip wearing full pads. Like I trained myself to be able to do a, a back handspring wearing full full pads. I could do it with a ball. <laughs> I could do it with one hand, you know, holding a football. And so I was like, unathletic. I just don't think that was accurate. And so the more I thought about it, I was like, well, let's just kind of see what happens. And so I took a year off from playing football. I just went to class. Just you know, did the normal school thing, being a college student. Played intramural football. Had a lot of fun doing that. And I couldn't shake wanting to play more just wanting to you know continue my career and so i started thinking what's the craziest thing i could do and i grew up an auburn fan and i'm a big fan of the sec and, and you know the, the best football in the country and i thought well what if i what if i went there <laughs> what if i what if i you know tried out for that team and so i end up transferring to auburn and they have a tryout every every year first day of class and so i went and uh, beat out 60 something 70 something other guys i was one of six chosen and uh ended up Maybe not being athletic enough for Murray State, but uh, it seems that I was I was athletic enough for Auburn University, and I got to play a good bit there my senior year and, and play on special teams and uh, play some at, at receiver. But this time it made a little bit more sense. Uh, some of those guys are in, going to the NFL. <laughs> you know, you're, you're okay sitting on the bench behind a guy that you know is going to play in the league, but uh, it, it worked out okay. And so I think I've been able to take that same mentality. It's a long story. Sorry about that. But um, been able to take that same drive, same motivation, same focus to other aspects of my life. And this podcast being being one of those things where every week you, you can count on it. The episode is going to come out on Wednesday. Email is going to come out on Monday. You know, all these different things, they're going to happen because I, I just, I, I feel like I have to get them done. That's just kind of how uh, my brain works. It's like I, I put my mind to something. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. And so it's been really cool to kind of see other parts of my life grow in that way that aren't just related to sports or, or physical, you know, also in the mental games, uh, being able to become disciplined in different things and efficient and, and guarding time and things like that uh, in order to produce things that, that hopefully people find valuable. Uh, I've grown, hopefully, uh, I think I've grown uh, as an interviewer and being able to interview people and get, you know, some really cool answers out of folks and being able to 
dive deeper into different topics and, and hopefully uh, ask good questions. I think I ask good questions. I guess that's kind of up to you and, and what you think as the listener, whether the questions are, are any good or not. But I've done my best to get better as a speaker, as an editor, as an interviewer, and, and just overall as a, as a game designer that's, that's trying to bring you great content every week. All right, next question. What is the most important strategy to build a crowd for a game? Okay, that's good. Uh, we're really talking about marketing here. How do you build a crowd? I mean, in today's world with, you know, 800 games coming out of Gen Con, thousands of games coming out over the course of the year, you know, Kickstarter is crazy crowded right now. Uh, that's been a big thing here the last couple of weeks, how many games are on Kickstarter right now. And how do you, how do you stand out in such a noisy arena? And like you're saying, you're, you're talking in the right language. How do you build a crowd for the game? Uh, that's, that's what you have to do. You, you can't build it and they will come. You have to, you know, reach out to people and, and then when you, or you actually can't launch it. You can't launch it and they will come. You know, you have to build it and then and then launch it. And so what do you what do you do? I think going to conventions is really helpful. You know, just getting out there and meeting people. I think being active in the community, whether it's uh, the BGDL Facebook community or there's all sorts of different online, you know, communities, Board Game Spotlight, Board Game Revolution, uh, the Board Game Geek Facebook group, tons and tons of groups with, I mean, tens of thousands of members that I highly recommend you go in there and just be part of it. And not in a way trying to sell your thing. That's another thing is, is you should you should post nine things for other people for every one thing you post for yourself. <laughs> you know, just uh, give way more than you take. Uh, be a ladder builder more than just a ladder climber, so to speak. And and so just get out there, build relationships. Because I think people want to buy stuff from people they know. You know, I'm much more likely to buy a hamburger from, you know, my friend who owns a hamburger shop than just to go over some random person I've never met before. Also, hamburger shop? I don't know what that is. Hamburger restaurant? There we go. A shop that sells hamburger. It'd be kind of weird. Like you go in and there's like hamburgers on the shelves. Anyway, random. <laughs> but it's all about relationships. It's about building the crowd uh, one at a time. One is always greater than zero. It's kind of my mentality. You know, one is infinitely better than zero or greater than zero. So what can you do today just to build your crowd one more person? You know, to add one more person to your fans list. Because really what you're trying to do is create raving fans. You know, you're, you're trying to mobilize people uh, with your product, with your your character, with your integrity, with your business, with your uh, the way you run your business, you're trying to create raving fans, people that will will just love what you do to the point where they want to go out and tell other people about it, right? And that that's kind of how you go mar- viral, right? It, unless you want to go out there and spend a ton of money on ads and, and marketing and whatnot, which that's also a way to do it. But the organic raving fans method probably a little bit better long term, and it's definitely cheaper from a money standpoint, but a lot more expensive from a time standpoint. So it really just kind of comes down to how much time do you have versus how much money. That's why starting as early as you possibly can is much better than waiting till the last minute. Anyway, hope that helps. All right, next question. What happens when you cover every topic? <laughs> that That is a very good uh, good question. I've thought about that. Like one, I've got a pretty good list going for designers I want to, inter- I want to interview and then also topics that I want to interview people for. And so uh, I've got, a, I mean, that's a long list too. So it's not going to happen anytime soon. That is for sure. But the cool thing about this is, I mean, I could talk to 10 different people about cooperative games and I would get 10 totally different episodes. And so that's another thing. I, I can always revisit certain topics. Playtesting. Playtesting play testing is a massive topic. You know, publishing, crowdfunding, all these things are humongous topics with thousands of different nuances to them. And so I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll be doing episode 1000 one day and I go, you know, I think that's it. That's, uh, that's all she wrote. Have a nice one. I'm going to hang my hat on this and uh, see you on the other side. I mean, that could happen, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. 
All right, next question. I feel like the community can occasionally choke the fun out of the design process. What do you think are the best ways to interact with people in this somewhat all-business community if you're only interested in making a game for fun? Yeah, it's a real good good thought. So I think it's all about expectations, and it's all about prefacing what you're looking for before you really get into it. So if you tell people, hey, I'm just designing a game for fun. I'm not trying to get it published. I'm not worried about the business side of things. I've just got this question. What do you think? I think they're going to give you a very different answer than if you only say, hey, here's my question. Because a lot of people are are in this thinking, I want to get published. I want to get, I want to get the game to Kickstarter. I want to get it on people's shelves and uh, retail or whatnot, uh, get on people's tables. They're thinking from that angle. And so if you don't change the conversation, if you don't change the perspective, they're going to come to you, come at you with with that idea, that those thoughts. And so I think just prefacing things and, and kind of telling people exactly what you're looking for. It's all about communication. I mean, it's anything in life, any kind of relationship. It's all about communication. And so if you're making a game just for fun, let people know, hey, this is just for fun. I'm not trying to pitch it to a publisher or anything else. I just do this as a hobby or I'm doing this as a design exercise or, or whatever. I think just letting people know on the front end and then you'll get better answers from them. Next question. What have been the hardest things for you to overcome in game design space? And how has your personal life helped or hindered the process? Hmm. That's a good question. I think just like probably most of the people listen to this show, uh, getting published is a very difficult thing. Uh, getting your game signed with a publisher is a tremendous undertaking. Uh, and it's a lot of hard work. And it's also a lot of just being at the right place at the right time. You know, a certain amount of luck goes into it. I've had some amazing meetings with publishers, uh, some great sit down chats and at, at conventions and showing the game and taking prototypes. And I've had a couple of publishers say, we are going to sign this game. We want to sign this game. We love this game. It's great. We want to publish it. Cool. And it just never happened. And that's really frustrating because then you you kind of wait months and months and months hoping something's going to happen there and they're telling you something's going to happen and then it never does. It never comes to fruition. And that's been really, uh, uh, I don't want to say discouraging, but it, it is annoying. <laughs> it is frustrating uh, and in some ways discouraging. And then I've, I've talked to some publishers that really love a game and it's just not going to fit on their calendar anywhere. You know, I, I pitched a game recently and the publisher really liked it and it was, it's for a licensed IP that they hold the rights to and they, they just don't have any where to put it right now. So it's, you know, at, at the earliest would be a year and a half, two years away. And so it's just kind of, well, we just kind of sit and wait. And that could be really, uh, really tough. And so that's one of the reasons I've started just kickstarting my own games and doing it myself. One, it's hard for me to get to conventions from Honduras. Uh, and then two, it's just the amount of time and energy and resources that it takes to go through the process of, of getting a game signed and, and published. But, you know, I feel like I could just put a lot of that time and energy and resources into doing it myself and just kind of control the process from, from, this side. Now, it's not to say I'm, I'm not going to continue trying to get games published. I've got several games I'm working on right now that I'm excited to pitch to publishers I think would be good fits for them that, you know, I wouldn't want to publish myself for various reasons, whether it's, you know, they have miniatures involved or, you know, different things that I don't have any expertise in right now, things I would much rather leave to someone else to. But yeah, that's that's definitely been the uh, most difficult challenge. But like I was talking about earlier, I've gotten pretty good at being able to just put my head down and grind things out and get things done and, and push through challenges, push through discouragements, push through people telling me things and, and not being what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and I've also surrounded myself with some amazing people. My wife is just a phenomenal teammate in all this. And she helps me play test a lot of my, a lot of my games and beats me 96.7% of the time, it seems like. And uh, she's just been super helpful. And, and she's one of the main reasons I'm going to be able to do this full time at some point, uh, just because of all the uh, things that she's taken on uh, as far as responsibilities and and doing things so that I have time to be able to, to do this. And I can't thank her enough. 
And then I've also surrounded myself with just some amazing uh, other people in the community, you know, people to help me out and do different things, whether it's on the business side or just the relationship side. It's just a fact of life. You are only as good as the people you surround yourself with. You know, a quarterback's only as good as the people he's throwing to. <laughs> if, the, if the people downfield can't catch, well, it's hard for the quarterback to look good. So make sure you surround yourself with amazing people as best you can. And if you can't do it in real life, at least find some people in the digital space, you know, through the community online to be there and, and help you out in, in different ways. All right. Got a little design question here. How do you weigh removing something from your game that you feel is important to the theme, but it's very hard on the players? So I design from a fun first perspective. Where's the fun? I want to find that as soon as I can. And I want to push that fun button over and over and over again until the game's done. And so if something is super thematic, but it's not super fun, then it's probably going to get cut because I want to make sure that the, the fun shines through in as many places as possible. I mean, we live in a time where majority of games only get played once, maybe twice, you know, just, just the nature of things and culture of the new, and there's so many games coming out. And so you want that experience to be as fun as it possibly can be the first time people play it, because if it's not fun the first time they play it or not, or not a lot of fun, they're not going to play it again, more likely. And if it is super fun, maybe they'll play it again. <laughs> and so be careful about, putting theme ahead of anything else or ahead of everything else or ahead of the fun. You want the fun to be thematic. Obviously you don't want to just throw in stuff. It's like, well, this doesn't make any sense, but you want to make sure people are experiencing the best possible uh, version of your game or best possible things about your game. And that's not to say people have to be sitting there laughing and cutting up and, you know, have these giant smiles in their faces. And, oh, it's obvious they're having fun. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, people can play a two hour Euro and be super thinky the whole time and not, not really saying a word and kind of staring at the board and staring at their cards, staring at their components and, and trying to figure out different things. And at the same time, having a ton of fun, having a blast, you know, at the end of it, you know, two, two and a half hours, you say, was that fun? It's like, yes, I love this and that and the other. And so it's not all about just emotional responses necessarily, but real, be real careful about putting theme ahead of fun. All right, next question. On average, how much do reviews cost? Well, if you're getting a review, a review, then you probably shouldn't be paying for anything other than the cost of the game and the shipping to send it to them. Uh, if you're paying for a preview, that's a different scenario. So previews are mainly for Kickstarter campaigns, crowdfunding campaigns, and that's just to get the game in front of as many people as possible to unlock as many audiences as you can, whether it's through Rado or Tantrum House or Board Game Brawl or Unfiltered Gamer. And there's so many, so many. I, there's 20 more I could probably say in your name. Undead Viking is another good one. So previews are a little bit different because really what you're doing is paying a person to take some time out of their life and put together a video that shows what your game looks like and the components and how it works and how to, you know, how the game plays. And then some of them give opinions at the end as well. But you always have to take those with a grain of salt because it, it is paid for. Uh, those can cost anywhere from free. Some people do those for free. You know, I've got people I've sent games to that just said, hey, send me the game. I'll, I'll do a preview for you. Uh, all the way up to $1,000 plus. Uh, if you're working with a bigger audience, the Dice Tower, they, they've got a couple guys that do preview videos over there. And those are not cheap by any stretch. Uh, Rado is not cheap by any stretch. Uh, there's some of the mid-tier ones that are in the you know $200 to $500 range. But that's that's kind of the, I'd say the average is like $400. And then all the way, you know, free, all the way up to a little over 1000 And then four or $500 probably on average. But really what you're having to think about is the return on investment. You know, so if I'm going to invest $500 into this preview video, but it's going to, you know, this video is going to potentially go in front of 10,000 subscribers that th this group has on their YouTube channel. Okay, you're, you're having to think through the ROI on that. Uh, you also have to think through, okay, what kind of games does this person normally preview or review? And is that going to line up with 
that audience. Does that make sense from a business standpoint? And so a few more things to think about than just shotgun blasting it out to everybody. Uh, you also think, okay, does this fit in my budget? And so just some things like that. So hopefully that helps. All right, next one. As a family man, how do you carve out time in your schedule to work on your game designs? Do you protect a few blocks in the week or look for opportunities here and there? That's a, that's a really big one right there. Um, so many people that send me emails with their design challenges. This is the number one thing. How do I find time? And my response is always, well, you don't find time. You make time. You know, you're not going to find time. It's not lost. You know, it's not under your bed. It's not under a rock somewhere. You're not going to find it in your, your jeans, you know, in the dryer. Uh, you got to make time. And so I've found a lot of success, a lot of value in scheduling time and saying, all right, on Tuesdays from this time to this time, I'm going to edit a podcast. And that's what I do, period. There's nothing else to it. I mean, there's no, ifs, no ifs, ands, or buts, you might say. This is what I do. It, just like uh, yeah, I go to my day job from this time to this time. Same thing with, with game designing and the podcast is certain days from this time to this time. This is what I do. And then also whenever I get some you know spare time, free moments here and there, I try to sneak in some design time as well. Uh, whether it's cutting up cards for a prototype or just writing down ideas in, in my journal or playtesting real quick. I've been working on a lot of solo games lately, so it's been really nice. I can just play test whenever I want or whenever I have time. Like, oh, I've got 20 minutes. I'll just sit down and play the game by myself because it's a solo game and it works out really well. So it's a little bit of both. And again, that's, that gets back into having an awesome teammate, an awesome group of people around you, uh, whether it's your spouse or some good friends that kind of help you out or uh, people online that you can bounce ideas off of. But setting up days and times that are scheduled that you make time for, you know, I always, it's amazing. I always have just enough time for the things I make time for. And so maybe watching Netflix a little bit less, maybe scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever a little bit less, maybe sleeping a little bit less, whatever you got to do to make time for the things that you find important. If this is important to you, make time for it, just like you would anything else. All right, next question. Would you ever consider a sidekick? I assume you mean for the podcast, not for like everyday life or crime fighting. If I was a crime fighter, yes, I would definitely consider a sidekick. Uh, but for the podcast, no, it's not something I've really thought about, but I don't, I don't know that I would want to travel down that road. I really like the setup that I currently have. I have thought about reaching out to a friend of mine who's in the publishing game who I really feel like could benefit from running a podcast, from having a, you know his own podcast that talks about his company and games that he's releasing and working on, things like that. Uh, that, that could be really cool. I have thought about that, and, and maybe I'll reach out to him down the road. This, that's another idea, like if I could go full-time, then I could do other little side things like that. But as far as a sidekick for my show, no, don't think so. At least not anytime soon. All right, next question. What is the best way to make connections and or pitch to publishers if your schedule and location do not allow you to attend conventions regularly, if at all? This is where having a presence online becomes extraordinarily valuable. Uh, if you're not going to be able to get into public places you know, like conventions or conferences or whatever, uh, to take your game, you can't make it to Unpubs or Protospiels or Origins or Gen Con or Pax Unplugged, whatever. If you're not going to be able to get there in person. You're going to need to be more of a presence online and you're going to need to be posting about your game or games uh, more often than maybe you normally would. Because what you're trying to do is if, if you can't have a publisher basically walk by your game at a, at a booth or at a table or whatever and, sit and, go, and stop and go, hey, tell me about this. This seems cool. This looks like something I might want to publish. Then you're going to need to have some kind of presence online that maybe they could digitally stop by and, and, and see your game, right? Whether it's on Twitter and just posting updates or Facebook posting updates or in the different board game communities on Facebook, just posting pictures of your game or asking questions, uh, asking about different ideas, posting quick little videos, getting feedback. Uh, that's a great way to get noticed. I've had publishers reach out to me. I actually had a publisher 
a couple weeks ago, reached out to me and say, hey, you know, I saw that you have a game going to Kickstarter soon. Would you be interested in any localization? It's a French publisher, and they were asking me about the possibility of, of posting the game in French. I was like, well, this is, is kind of cool. That would not have happened had I not posted anything about it online. And so if you can't make it to places in person, you have to be more available, more of a presence digitally. And don't worry about your game idea being stolen. That's, that comes up a lot. That's, that's very much a new designer idea. It doesn't happen, right? One, the industry is super small. And so if it did happen, like it would be very obvious. Uh, and you, you know, people would be, would be able to point to it. Also, people are so busy with the designs they're already working on. They, they probably don't really have time to steal your idea too. You know, and, and like I'm working on so many designs right now that I'm super excited about. And so if I see somebody else, I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I'm going to go back over here and work on my 10 things and you, you work on yours and people aren't going to steal your idea. So don't worry about that. Just post away and good things will happen. All right, next question. We hear snippets through the normal episodes about your projects when relevant to the overview. Would you consider a series of episodes every month or two where you update us on your projects? And if you have time, could you do a quick rundown now? Okay, this is cool. Uh, I've actually got an episode coming out here in a couple of weeks that is specifically about the solo games that I've been working on. Uh, I wanted to do an episode, not to do an infomercial exactly or anything like that, not to be like, buy my game, uh, but to just go into the deeper uh, ins and outs of, of that whole design process, talk about kind of the idea all the way up into the, the Kickstarter and, and talk to the graphic designer about different choices we're making, talk to the artist about different choices that we're making, and just talk about all the, the things that have, have come together to create the game and hopefully you'll get something out of it. I think it could be a really valuable and useful episode, especially if you're working on a solo game yourself, or at least want to make a solo mode for your game. And so I'll be talking about my hunted series of games, which I am super excited about, by the way. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the big thing coming next. Uh, that will launch on October 15th. Hunted is a series of solo games. The first two will come out on in that Kickstarter, and then I've got several more planned for down the road. And then working on my football games are still in, in process. i got one hopefully going to Kickstarter in January. That's the plan right now. Still not 100% sure on that, but feel good about it. I want to make sure I do it during football season. Uh, obviously, ideal would be September, but uh, it's October now. And so January, I feel like during, during the playoffs, during both the NFL playoffs and the college football playoff, would be a good time to launch uh, the football game. And I've got another football game launching hopefully next year, probably next September. And so I'm excited about both of those. And those are, those are very much passion projects. I, I don't, I don't think those are going to go crazy, you know, and, and do six figures on Kickstarter. I mean, they could, I guess in theory it's possible, but I feel like those are going to be very humble campaigns and just something I, I want to get out there. There's not enough football games in the world, not enough sports games in the world. And I realize that's partially because the, the audience, the, the hobby market is not big into sports games, but I feel like I've got some games that'll uh, be good, especially for families, uh, just to have some fun chuck some dice, score some touchdowns. So those games are coming down the road. Uh, I've got several more uh, games in the Hunted series, hopefully going to uh, come out next year as well, assuming this this first Kickstarter does well. If this first one does really well, then that'll tell me, okay, make some more of these games. If it doesn't do very well or doesn't fund or whatever, it's like, okay, I'll do something else. And then got another book coming out early next year. That one is another uh, very similar to the board game design advice book that was on Kickstarter this year and did pretty well. I've got another kind of along the same lines, but it's going to be about a totally different topic. I'm not going to talk about the topic. I'll release that uh, soon. The cover cover's done. I'm, I'm really excited. The book cover looks really, really good. And so I'll release that before too long. Uh, but again, talking to designers from the industry, best of the best in the world, and, and just interviewing them and getting their thoughts on different questions. And then working on the, the big project for new designers uh, as well. And so hopefully getting that done over Christmas break. Anyway, got a lot going on right now. I, I need to go full time just because I need more time. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's kind of a catch twenty two. I need to go full time to be able to do this stuff full time. But anyway, so that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now, and and we'll see how it all pans out. All right, next question: How many hours a week do you devote to game design, and how many hours do you devote to podcasting? That is a good question. I would say the podcast takes roughly at least twelve hours, probably around twelve hours a week when you look at everything. So that's recording, editing, you know, all the things that, you know, adding it to the website, um, posting in the Facebook community, being, you know, in there and, and doing different things there, scheduling people, preparing for episodes. I'd say it's about 10 to 12 hours a week on that right there. just for the podcast, uh, game designing, it depends on the time of year. So right now I'm spending a ton of time every day on game design or game design related things, whether it's marketing or uh, rule book writing or, you know, getting the Kickstarter campaign page ready to go. Like I'm spending a ton of time. I don't even know how much, too much, uh, honestly, right now. Um, I don't have enough margin in my life and my wife would probably agree with that, but uh, it's, it's kind of crunched down the Kickstarter launches here in a couple weeks. And so I'm, I'm in kind of a go mode as far as making sure getting everything done and everything ready to go on time. So right now it's not an average week. I'd say on average, probably another 10 hours or so. Um, right now it's probably 20, 25, maybe more than that. But on a normal week, I'd say 10 hours uh, as far as playtesting or prototyping or watching playthrough videos and trying to get ideas on how to overcome a design challenge, whatever. It's probably at least 10 hours on average, but then there's probably a little bit more that I'm not thinking about. So probably 10 hours where I, like I, schedule it out. Like, okay, on this day, I'm going to work from this time to this time. But there's probably more that I'm not putting in that 10 hours that just kind of happen randomly. Um, I have a few extra minutes. And so let me do this or let me do that. So 10 to 15 hours total, probably for game design. But it hasn't always been this way. Uh, it, it, that's, that's a recent thing. That's really when I decided I want to do this full time. I want to go pro. And so to go pro, you have to act like you're going to go pro. <laughs> you have to uh, act professionally in order to be able to do it professionally. And so I realized that a lot of people don't have 20 hours, 20 plus hours a week to devote to these kinds of things. But to be fair, I didn't either. I just had to make time and figure it out. But like anything else, you start small and you work your way into it. All right, next question. Who is the one guest you haven't had a chance to have on your show, but would absolutely love to interview? So Ignacy Shevichek from Portal Games has actually been scheduled to come on the show twice. And both times it has fallen through for random various reasons. And so I'm still hoping, still waiting, still trying to get him on the show. It's it's kind of weird because he's in such a different time zone. And so there's only certain days, certain times at work and his schedule is crazy busy. And anyway, it just hasn't been able to, to work out. But I would love to have him on the show just to get his perspective on things. And so, yeah, he would be he would be the one. If I had to pick one person, he'd be the one. And it's it's been so close twice. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm hopeful it'll it'll work out here in the near future. All right. Next question. This is actually the last question. How has your life and your game design process changed over these 150 episodes? So over the, the last three years, how have things changed? Biggest one, I think I just talked about it a little bit a moment ago, and I've talked about it a good bit over the course of this episode, is doing things professionally, you know, doing everything you, I, I can to make it real. Uh, so it's not just a hobby. It's not just something I do in my spare time or just do randomly for fun whenever I feel motivated. Uh, turning it into an actual job, an actual thing that I do on a, a daily basis. You know, it's nothing. It's doing it every single day. Uh, even if it's just for a little bit, even just for 20 minutes or an hour, uh, finding time, making time, huh, finding time, making time to get something done. That was definitely not the case three years ago, 
three years ago, I would wait on motivation and, and hopefully get a little bit motivated and get something done. And if not, oh, well, but now motivation is not real. There's no such thing. It's here's the day, here's the time I've set to do this thing and I'm going to do it. And it's amazing how, how much, you know, when I get started, all of a sudden I get motivated. Whereas maybe I didn't feel motivated beforehand. It's, you know, just a, a simple law of physics, you know, objects in motion stay in motion. So the question is, how do you get into motion? You know, obviously rest, stay at rest. And so what, what can you do to move? And I find that that's been a big change for me is, is not just waiting until I have an idea, but putting myself in a scenario where ideas are going to flow naturally, where things are going to get done because this is the time I've scheduled to get them done. And so I'd say that's the biggest thing. It's just taking a, a more disciplined, focused, professional approach to this whole thing, whether it's the podcast and setting up certain days and certain times to get things done uh, or game design and doing the exact, you know, doing the same thing. That's been a huge change. And then obviously just growth as a game designer. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to interview a hundred plus people and not grow, <laughs> right? Not learn a ton. And so it, it's been amazing to learn from the best in the world uh, on all these different topics, all these different angles and perspectives. And what's cool about, about doing the show, I get to hear the episode twice. So I hear it the first time when I do the actual interview, and then I hear it again through the editing process. And so every single episode I have heard at least twice. Some of them I've heard three times because the editing software crashed and I had to do it again. <laughs> but most episodes I've heard twice. And that's just been super helpful. I, I feel like my game designing has grown exponentially over the last year, year and a half or so, once I really, really started taking this seriously, uh, really start diving in. It's like, okay, I want to go pro. I want to do this professionally. Um, it's really just taken off. And so I'm finding that just my understanding of, of games and design theory and the way mechanisms work and the way things play off into each other. And I've gotten so much better at just designing overall and just being able to see things before they happen and being able to play through ideas in my head that I used to would have had to like play test. And now I can go, okay, that's, that's not going to work for this reason or that reason. I can just play it in my head and just getting better at it. Problem solving and critical thinking are very much skills that you can hone and you can get better at. And so I can definitely uh, tell a difference in my own problem solving skills, my own critical thinking as far as game design goes. And hopefully you can too. If you've listened to all 150 episodes of this show, hopefully you've had a, a similar experience where you've grown as a designer and, and figured things out and learned all sorts of different facets about the industry and about the hobby and about how game design works and you're being able to see some some growth in yourself. So anyway, that's all the, the questions I have. Again, that's not all the questions I received. So if I didn't answer yours, I am sorry. It was a lovely question. I liked it a lot. It just uh, didn't fit in the time parameters that I've set for this here episode. And thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you being part of this community. It's been an amazing last 150 episodes, and I'm excited to see what's ahead. Lots of really cool stuff is planned for the future. Some things, you know, a lot of stuff I talked about here on this episode, and a few things that I'm still holding a little closer to the vest that I'll share with you over the, the next little while, over the next few months or so. And trust me when I tell you there are far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. And so I'm excited about where we're going. So that's, that's a wrap, 150 episodes in the books, and I, I look forward to the next 150. So again, thanks for listening, and good luck with everything you got going on right now. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?